Hello friends and welcome back to part two of Talking Toddlers. I've gotten so much great feedback from part one saying that you feel less alone in the world and now we're going to talk about some practical application of what it looks like to connect with our little ones and to actually reach the heart of the matter as well as help them to make right choices. I hope you enjoy part two and that you're blessed by it. Have a great day. So back to kind of some of those practical tips, getting down on your child's level and looking them in the eyes and being both firm and kind are so important. I think in our busyness, in the ability that we have to have our phones in our hands all the time and have our attention splintered and be so distracted, especially if we have multiple children and our physical presence is being needed by so many people at the same time, that it can feel like it's impossible to truly take a moment and engage with that toddler when they are on the precipice of the meltdown or maybe in full-fledged atomic mode already. But I guarantee you that if you will carve out that moment, say, hey, I'm going to help you with your math problem in just a minute, but I need to go talk to so-and-so. I need to get down there in front of him and take care of this. That your future self will thank your past self for taking that moment that you didn't feel like you had. And you will find that you are able to diffuse a lot of those situations before they escalate into crazy if you are willing to, at the front end, make it clear what your expectations are and make it clear what the consequences will be and make it clear that you love them and then go ahead and follow through if they do not respond as so often happens like they're supposed to. Now, I will give you, like I said, the one that we are really working on right now is not technically a toddler, but he just turned four. And so I will give you... An example from today. So he's been really struggling for the last several weeks with that tendency to kind of say no as soon as he is told something to do, even if it's something as simple as go sit in your seat or I need you to go potty for me, please. And I realized that these last several weeks had been really busy and I was not following my own advice that I just gave you to take a moment to get down on his level and make sure that he understood me and that he understood what I was asking, that he understood that I was asking him to do it right now, that we had that verbal contract of yes, mama, or yes, ma'am, that's what I'm gonna go ahead and do. And then following through on making sure that he did it. So for example, going potty, this may sound like a silly example, but with this particular child, he's fully potty trained, but he doesn't love going potty and he will wait too long and he will refuse to do it on his own still. So while it feels silly to still be taking a four-year-old who's been potty trained technically for a year to the potty, part of the hard grueling aspect of parenting toddlers is being willing to do the inconvenient things. And what I mean by that is the last thing I want to do in the middle of chopping up vegetables for dinner is to actually walk with Shiloh to the potty and make sure that he goes. And yet, if I have said that my word is my bond and I need you to do this for me and I need you to follow through, then I have to be willing to inconvenience myself and put aside my productivity or my own pleasure or my own relaxation to make sure that this thing happens so that we've established the entire cycle of this pact that we made with mama that we were going to obey. And then we ran off in the corner and played with a toy instead. And mama didn't care and she didn't check on me. So I guess I can get away with that, right? How many times does our tiredness and sometimes just pure laziness in that moment come back to bite us later when we haven't completed the cycle of expressing our expectations, expressing what will happen if they don't, and then not actually checking to see that they've done it. So I recognized in talking to Sean the other day that I hadn't been as consistent to follow through all the way to the end of the thing that I'd been asking him to do, whatever it was for that particular moment. 
And so today, this is so relevant. This is why I chose to talk about it today because it was so on my mind and it's what I'm doing right now. Today, here is literally what I have been doing with my sweet four-year-old who is struggling to obey and struggling to follow through and definitely trying to get out of anything that he can get out of right now. And I have no doubts that the Lord has great things for him and that we are praying for him and we will continue to pour into him and that he is not done yet, that he will be a completely different child. Listen to me. In four years, did you hear me say that? I hear from so many young moms that are like, hey, I have worked on this for three weeks. I've worked on this for two and a half months. It's been six months and I haven't seen a lot of improvement. And I'm here to tell you that while there are definitely things you can do to improve the way that your home functions today, and I am telling you some of them, you may not see the full fruit of them for three, four, five years. And it may be so incremental that you don't even notice that things have improved until you are able to look back like my friend did for me and give me perspective that, guess what? This child doesn't have rage issues anymore. He is calm and he is cheerful and he is pleasant and you would never know that he'd had those issues. Well, praise God for that. I needed that perspective just like I mentioned before. But I know that Shiloh will not be the same child in four years. And that actually gives me hope. I know that I can hang in there for four years because I'm going to have to hang in there for at least another 10 after that. And I don't view my children as being, quote, done being parented just because they're 18 years old. I think that that is something that our society has sold us as the age of freedom and independence. And yet we still have such a responsibility to pray for them and to guide them. And that's that's another podcast for another day. But I, I don't parent my little four-year-old right now with the fear that he will always be doing this exact behavior forever. However, I do parent him with the realization that if I am lax and if I am lazy and that if I'm inconsistent, I am doing him and myself a disservice. So today, what this has practically looked like to tighten up in the areas where I feel like I have been a little looser than I should be and to help him to obey, I have literally said, Shiloh, I need you to look me in the eyes and I'm going to tell you something that I need you to do. And I'm doing this when I'm on eye level with him or not in a threatening stand over him position. And if he isn't paying attention, I say his name again until I've got eye contact. And then I say, I'm going to tell you, y'all, I'm telling my child what I'm going to tell him. But sometimes when you have a child that tends to respond, no, just because what you're asking him to do inconvenience is what he wants to do. If he's playing with a toy and you tell him to go potty and he doesn't want to stop playing with a toy, his first knee jerk reaction may be no, because he doesn't want to give up his pleasure, right? He doesn't want to give up the fun that he's having. So if you can prep kids, and I think communication of your expectations and communication of what you need them to do in a way that they can understand and connect with is so key. So if you can kind of prep them for what's coming, then you might not get as adverse a reaction and as much pushback because they know what's coming. And then when they hear it, they're not as frustrated by it because they've kind of already had their mind taken off the thing that they wanted to be doing and then put onto the coming thing that they need to do. So I've said, Shiloh, I'm about to ask you to go potty. And when I do, we're not going to say no. We're not going to tell mama that we don't want to. It's something that we need to do. So when I ask you to go potty, I need you to say, yes, ma'am. And then I need you to go ahead and go. Now we're Southern. We use yes, ma'am. I don't think that that has to be the phrase that every child uses to make that verbal pact that says, yes, I heard you. Yes, I'm going to do what you asked. Okay, mom. Yes, mama. Those are all great options. But I do think it's important to make sure that they do acknowledge you and that you understand that they understood. And so I said to him, Shiloh, I'm about to ask you to go potty. When I do, I need you to say, yes, ma'am. I need you to hop down and go ahead and go do it. 
And he looked me in the eyes and he nodded and smiled very sweetly. And then the next thing I said was, okay, Shiloh, now I need you to go potty. And he said, yes, ma'am. And he hopped down. Now that might sound precious and it was precious in that moment. But let me tell you, there has been a very different story that I could tell for the last couple of weeks in the midst of busyness and birthdays and too much sugar and stimuli and things that really kind of ramp him up and send his personality to a different level. Now, you may have noticed that the challenging toddlers that I've described all have different personality traits. Some it's emotionalism, some it's anger, some it's defiance. Just because you've encountered one particular flavor of hard toddlers does not mean that you're not going to encounter yet another way that the Lord is going to challenge you and your own sinfulness and your own desire for ease and your own wanting things to just go the way that you asked them to go the first time. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting that, but it's what we do when they don't that really shows the character that's deep down in us. So the other thing that I had noticed, and this is another really practical tip, that I had been doing with Shiloh is that I had not been time managing as well recently. And so especially getting out the door in the early-ish mornings to go to the gym when I'm getting everybody set with their breakfast and morning routine and getting started on homeschooling, getting myself dressed, getting the babies ready to go to the gym. Shiloh was the last one that I was remembering because he's more self-sufficient. Now he doesn't really dress himself, but he can go potty. He can go find his shoes. He can grab himself a Larbar as a snack or whatever. And so I was focused on getting the babies ready. And I noticed in the last several weeks that I was kind of like, okay, Shiloh, let's go. And he would be in the middle of doing something that he wanted to do. And I was out of time. I wasn't giving myself a time buffer. And so he was really upset because he doesn't switch his little brain doesn't switch immediately from this thing to this thing. And that's very common with toddlers. They are very focused. Like I mentioned, they kind of have the blinders on and they, they want to keep doing the thing that they are fixated on. And one of the things that we can do to help toddlers not fixate quite so much, or at least be able to shift a little more easily from the fixation is to give them enough time to get used to the idea of what they need to shift to. And that may feel like way too much work and impossible with all the other demands on your schedule. And like I said, I have twin toddlers. I have to get ready to go out the door. So just, it's kind of like I was saying before, future you will thank current you. If current you decides that not only do you have the time, but this is time well spent. Choosing to give yourself a buffer of 10 minutes before you actually have to leave to give your toddler that tends to not want to leave the activity that they're doing, that tends to poke around forever to eat their food and get upset when they get yanked away from it and stuffed into shoes and buckled into the car seat really fast. If you want to give yourself a much calmer experience, especially with leaving the house, plan with timers on your phone and mental preparation at the beginning of the day, knowing what it is that you're going to do throughout your day and what you have to get to and at what time to give yourself that 10 minute buffer, to give yourself 10 minutes where if your toddler does melt down, you can get down on their level and work through with them and work through any kind of discipline that you need to do without it being that you are having to haul them in the football hold out the door, kicking and screaming, right? So that's what I've been doing. I have been giving myself more time to get out the door. I have been slowing down a little bit, making sure that I have his clothes ready for him. And that's another thing. Toddlers are humans. They have preferences. And some toddler preferences are completely nonsensical and you can't go along with every single one of them. For example, Shiloh cannot wear his Ninja Turtle t-shirt every single day for the rest of his life. And yet that would be his preference. So another thing that we can do to kind of ease them into decision-making without overwhelming them 
or without just yanking their favorite option out of their hands is to give them some options that they like. So if I know that Shiloh wants to wear his Ninja Turtle shirt every day, all day, then I'm going to look for his next favorite shirt that's clean and grab that one and say, hey, Shiloh, here's your whale shirt. You wanna wear your whale shirt today? And if he doesn't want that one, because shirts are not the end of the world, and if I've given myself that 10 minute buffer, I can say, well, we've got the whale shirt or we've got the monkey shirt. Which one do you wanna wear? Now, I have not just simply said, here, child, whose decision-making abilities are negligible and somewhat worrisome at best at this particular developmental stage of your life, come to this entire drawer of clothing and spend that 10 minute buffer that I gave myself picking through and rejecting all the best options and also creating a giant mess in your room. That would be foolishness. Instead, I've said monkey shirt, whale shirt. I know you like them both, so pick the one that you wanna wear today. Now there are gonna be days when they are in a particularly ornery mood. They want neither the monkey shirt nor the whale shirt. They wanna wear the dress that they saw you wear to church on Sunday. And no amount of explaining that it won't fit them and that pink isn't their color is going to change their minds. And so we wanna acknowledge that these toddlers who are human beings and that have preferences and that's not a bad thing, should be able to start developing agency and responsibility and should probably get a choice in the things that they put on their bodies, if at all possible. Again, there's the times when they won't choose between the two options that are good, and there are other times that you simply don't have the time. You didn't have that 10 minute buffer. The baby didn't nurse quickly enough. Your mom called you right as you were trying to get out the door. You spilled all of your water all over the floor and have spent 10 minutes mopping it up and changing everybody's clothes. I get it. Life doesn't go according to our perfectly little set out scenarios, and yet we can plan to succeed and then ask for the Lord's grace in those times when our plans fail miserably. And those plans will keep us in such better stead than if we fly by the seat of our pants or recognize that we aren't giving ourselves enough time to give our toddler due attention or due patience. And yet we just go, oh, well, and we keep doing the same thing over and over again, which is, by the way, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, which is what toddlers do. Another thing that I want to address really quickly um, is the concept that, yes, our toddlers are human beings. Yes, they have preferences. Yes, honoring those is important. Yes, beginning to give them small little pockets of responsibility and showing them that they can be capable to help is important. Yes, autonomy and starting to take responsibility for your actions is important. However, there is a very strong push right now for autonomy, even in extremely young ages, being kind of the ultimate goal of parenthood, that we should be acknowledging our child's autonomy above all else. And scripturally, we are called to train and to direct and to guide and to establish the path for and to kind of turn to the right direction to teach righteousness to our children. But there's never any specific language in the Bible about honoring our children's autonomy. Now, we are all image bearers of the Lord. We all have worth in his eyes. And that is not diminished by being two, three, four years old. However, if we shirk our responsibility as parents to do that guiding and turning and nurturing and molding and shaping towards the Lord, I genuinely believe that we will have done a great disservice to our children. And I believe that the fruit of it will be rotten and bruised. And I know that that's really strong language, especially in the face of what we are often told by modern psychology, by parenting philosophies of the secular world. But 
While we acknowledge the preciousness of our children in God's sight, and while we love them with every fiber of our beings, and because we love them with every fiber of our beings, we cannot push away that responsibility to pour discipline and guidance and structure and biblical principles into their lives. And while many in the secular world will tell us that we're being controlling or that we are being too possessive or that we are protecting them too much, we know that the role of teacher and protector and authority figure is what the Lord has given us to do. We know that from scripture. We know that in Ephesians 6, 4, it says fathers, and I know that it's speaking specifically to fathers, but I assume that we would also be able to insert the word parents. Do not exasperate your children. So we shouldn't be exasperating our children by not conveying our expectations clearly, by not following through, by not providing them with discipline and direction and guidance, by having unrealistic expectations, by losing our temper, by being passive aggressive or lazy or taking a backseat driver approach to parenting. We shouldn't do any of those things, which are very exasperating to our children, but the Bible makes it clear what the flip side should be. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That is a very different exhortation than make sure that your first parenting priority is to establish and promote your child's autonomy. And I think that we are able to see exactly what the end game of that approach to parenting is in children who have not been given good boundaries, who have not had parents who follow through, and they are clearly frustrated and exasperated by the lack of parenting happening. Now, this is all kids. This is not just toddlers. But I think that the results and the effects of passive parenting, of promoting a child's preferences above what really needs to happen to keep peace in our homes, of what the Lord has charged us with doing in training and instructing them in the ways of the Lord. And it gets amplified. It gets blown up. It is in such sharp relief because there are so many sinful emotions being blasted at full volume in our house when three and four year olds are involved. And that's another thing. I hear a lot about the term big emotions. Now I will grant you that big is probably a good word for the very loud and expressive ways that we experience these emotions. But I want to push back at that against the concept, the emotions are simply big and not sinful because when we look in scripture at the concept of anger, it's often associated with foolishness. When we look at the concept of jealousy, we are warned against it. When we look at malicious intent or covetousness, those are all definitely negative emotions. So I don't personally adhere because of what the Bible tells me about them to the concept that there's no such thing as a bad emotion. And I don't adhere to the concept that our children, even the little bitty ones, David actually says in Psalm 51, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And it also talks about the fact that even a child is known by his actions. Even a child, that's what should be where the emphasis is. Even a child is known by his actions, by whether what he does is right or wrong. And so we have to acknowledge that we are dealing with little sinners. We are dealing with children who need their hearts nurtured and guided toward truth, who need righteousness modeled for them, who need a mama who is in control of her own emotions by God's strength, who is able to teach them that they don't have to be a slave to the big and angry and sometimes sinful things that are coming out of their mouths. 
that they don't have to be a slave to their anger. They don't have to be a slave to their covetousness. Because if you've ever seen a child want what the other child has, absolutely all day, every day. They don't have to be a slave to jealousy, that they are able to have freedom in Christ as they come to a saving knowledge in him, which is, of course, what we are praying for, for our kids each and every day. We cannot produce righteousness in them, but we can model it and teach it to them. I really feel like kids benefit so greatly from this in the long run, for sure, in the quote-unquote outcome, but I also feel like it's something that they crave. Kids, whether they are able to express it in words or not, don't want to be the parents. They may seem like they do. Shiloh definitely seems like he wants to be the one in charge, but he also seems very unsure of himself when it comes to situations where he doesn't know what to do because he's only four and he shouldn't have to be the one making all the decisions. Definitely not the big ones. Choosing between two shirts, great. That's something that we can do to practice for more autonomy in the future. But choosing when he crosses the street or what food is nutritious or not for him or how he gets to treat his neighbor, those are all things that are my job to teach him and then to roll back layers of authority so that one day when he is old enough and he's in a position to be completely autonomous and independent and responsible for his actions, that I have prepared him bit by bit rather than kind of throwing him to the wolves and saying, oh, his autonomy is so important that I don't want to impede that in any way. When in his little heart, he would love for me to show him the way that he should go, which is clearly laid out in scripture. The last thing that I want to emphasize and I say this a lot on my social media whenever I have moms asking me every single week on what do you want to know Wednesday? And I do mean every single week. How in the world do I stay calm when my toddler is so crazy? How in the world do I display patience and kindness when I feel so much rage in my own heart because he is pushing me to my limit? How can I possibly be expected to hold firm when it's a daily deluge of tears and demands and whining. And it's just, it's not fair. My toddler is bullying me. Oh, I, and I, I do. I hear language like this. So either you're relating strongly or you might be thinking, wow, is that how some parents think? I think it's possible for everyone regardless of personality or background, to fall into a victimhood mindset in parenting and especially with young children. It can feel like they have us by the tail and they're just swinging us around and we are at their mercy. So some of those practical suggestions that I gave you earlier are to help you to feel like you're not at their mercy, to help you to feel like you have a game plan and to help you to remain calm because you have prepared ahead of time to have practical measures in place so that you don't feel like you're losing it all the time. But the other thing is, and this is such a basic basic concept. When you ask yourself questions like, how can I possibly be expected to? I'm going to answer you very straight. You are expected to because you are the mama. You are expected to because you're an adult. I was 23 when I had my first child. When he started losing his mind over the potty training issue, he was two years old. That means that I had had 25 years of practicing self-control, of learning maturity, of being put in situations where I faced adversity and had to decide how to deal with it, of growing in my relationship with the Lord, of becoming more Christ-like, of being molded, being pushed, being sanctified, and that he had only had two. So how could I possibly compare my 25 years of life experience to his two and say, how can I be expected to deal with this? Well, between the two of us, there's only one of us that should be expected to have maturity, and it's me. 
So sometimes when we just pull ourselves up short and instead of having a victimhood mindset or one of being bullied by our children who seem like they know what they're doing and are doing it on purpose, we can instead say, I am the one that has been granted the responsibility of setting the emotional thermostat here. And I am the one that the Lord has asked to stay steady. Even when I feel like the barometer wants to just bob wildly between super cold and blazing hot to instead keep it at a temperature of peace and calm and coolness. And that may feel like too large of an ask. And yet when we acknowledge we are capable in Christ's strength of far more than we think we are, that hard is not the same thing as bad, that our child is not in fact bullying us, but instead challenging us and showing us that thing that was already buried inside of us that's bubbling to the surface. We may not like it when we encounter it, but we have the option. We always have the choice of taking that nastiness to Jesus and saying, please replace my lack with your abundance. And Ephesians tells us that he is able to do abundantly more than we could ask or think. So even those words that we say to him are probably not even sufficient to express the things that he is capable of giving back to us. And I can speak to you from personal experience that I am still delving into right now with two two-year-olds and a four-year-old that when you think that you are incapable, God is more than capable. When you are weak, he is strong. When you boast in your weakness, he shows up in a blaze of strength and power and glory. And that is how it should be. And guess what? That blaze of power and strength and glory may look like your physical ability to bite your tongue. And it may not feel very glorious. And it may not feel very impressive. But if you can practice the concept, I am the mama, I am the adult, I am capable in Christ's strength of biting my tongue. I am capable in Christ's strength of taking a deep breath. I am capable in Christ's strength of being calm even when I don't want to be. It can make all the difference in the world in how you actually treat your child and the fruit that you see going forward in your relationship with them. I hope that you are encouraged today that while you are not enough, Christ is. I hope you are encouraged today that you are the right mama for your toddler. I hope you're encouraged today that as you lean into the hard and engage with it and are consistent, that it will not last forever. I hope you're encouraged today that you have a future and a hope to look forward to with your children and that this particularly hard stage does not define you. The Lord has a good plan for you and your toddler today. He has a good plan for you and your middle schooler tomorrow. He has a good plan for you and your teenager in the future. He has a good plan for you and your adult children beyond that. And he sees and honors every one of your good efforts in the toddler stage and the adult children stage and every stage in between. If you guys enjoyed today's program, I would be so honored if you would subscribe and share with others. And if you're looking for more daily content on motherhood and biblical responses to cultural issues, you can follow along on Instagram at m.is.4.mama.